so he is missing something. <laughs> Let me read the story to you. It's out of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, a dinner was being given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what, what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and, and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plan to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. I mean, like, of all the stories <laughs> that you could tell about Jesus, you know, this one, right? It's weird, isn't it? It's weird. It's just strange. It's like, like out of the ordinary. I, I've never seen that kind of thing happen of you. Like, 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 you ever go to church and like, hey, look, like, there's people like rubbing their hair all over each other and stuff like that. Now, I found hair in my food before, but you know, never like, never at like that level. And like, what, what do you do? Like, instead of the sharing of the peace, we're just like, hey, ladies, why don't you get down and just like start, start working the feet here, you know, like start rubbing the hair. And, and like, what if instead of communion, like, like we hand out oil just to kind of like make it better? I mean, it's just getting weirder and weirder. Would you agree? It is a weird story. You know what John says at the end of his gospel? He's like, if all the things that could be said about Jesus were to be written in this book, you know, this book that we're reading out of John, you know, the gospel of John, if all the things that Jesus did were to be like included in this book, you know what John says? I suppose the whole world wouldn't have enough room for all the books that would be written. So if all the things that could be said and a limited amount of space, why are we given this kind of airtime to a story like this? Because it's weird. It's weird, and it's like free-floating. It's just kind of there. Like, what does this have to do with anything? Where is this going? It's kind of embarrassing, you know what I mean? Even, even a little bit, if you allow yourself to kind of, like, really, like, like, visualize yourself there and get into it, it's just kind of weird. What is John trying to say? Well, John does know something that's going on. John is not the one who's missing it. Now, John, John, whether at the moment or maybe years later, came to realize perfectly what was happening and the significance behind it. 
So much so that he's like, this has got to be in my story. My story about Jesus and who he is and what he does and, and, and who, he, who he claims to be and the life that's found in his name and how we kind of like interact with that. No, 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 John, this story demanded, this demanded airtime. There's something in this that he wants you to know, and that's what I want to walk you through today. I want to give you a few, just, just maybe observations on the story, things that I think John wants you to glean about Jesus and this, this weird, strange, like, story with Mary. And, and just kind of like I did last week, I, I, I'm just going to put some anchor screens up here to kind of help you like, like stay focused on it and rivet it in. Let me just walk you through, I think, like four, maybe five of these here today. Things to think about and help you rethink what kind of on the surface is just kind of like a really weird story. And I think it's got to start here. That what this story is about is glory. It's about glory. Some cultural things. Let's go back to the first century, some cultural things. A woman's glory was her hair. It was the gift of natural beauty that God gave the female gender. The first century view is that a woman's hair represents her beauty and your glory, and honestly, I don't think it's too far off from today either. I think today, whether it's stated explicitly or not, it's just kind of the same thing. That a woman's hair becomes a symbol and a presence and, and a primary sign of her beauty. This is, I think, what's going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you've ever taken time to read that, that really weird like, like, like little discussion from Paul about women covering their hair in worship, and you're like, like what is this? I don't get this. What do I do with it? Because the idea is that if, 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 if a woman's hair is her glory, when she comes into the presence of God, which coming together in church was always meant to be, it is not about her glory, it is about God's glory. So what a woman does is she shields or lowers her glory by covering her hair when she comes into the presence of God. God, this is kind of what church is supposed to be. Are we coming for ourselves and our glory, or are we coming to bring glory to God? Are we coming to lift ourselves up and have God elevate us, or are we coming to elevate him? So go with me into that cultural worldview. This is also, incidentally, why in third wave feminism, many women will shave their head. Because you are not going to judge me by my natural biological beauty. You are not going to define me by my typical traditional gender symbol. And it's a statement against it. This is why in the immortal words of Hayden Pantier, an ice princess, she says, work the hair. This is why in the sisterhood of the traveling pants... She gets the guy by working the hair. I know I sound like a real creeper right now, <laughs> but this is what happens when you live up with, when you grow up raising daughters in the early 2000s. 
Ladies, do you want to get your husband's attention? Work it, baby. <laughs> Work the hair. Get that flip. Get it down. You catch his eye? You think I'm joking with you? Get it out of the man bun. Let it flow. Come up behind him when he's reading or watching TV. Let it graze on him just a little bit. Come up while he's eating and put some in it. I don't know. Do whatever it takes, but work the hair. Jesus does something amazing. You know, the problem of, of like church, well, well, there's a lot of them, right? But, 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 but the problem of the way we do church is at best we come once a week and pick up like different episodes in the storyline. But it's a lot different than like reading a book where you just kind of keep a narrative flow. And so I come in and I talk about John 12, and it's kind of like its own separate article, its own separate episode, and it kind of gets divorced from the storyline. But you know, I want to encourage you, read the Gospel of John. Like, sit down and try to read it in one shot, or listen to it if you don't like to read. You could probably do it in less than a half hour. Read it as a simple story. Read it as a, as, as a continuous story, and you're going to see something in the flow here. Last week, John chapter 11, what happens right before this episode is Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Like, from the dead, right? He, the dude is stone cold, dead, four days in the tomb. The King James Version says at this point, he stinketh. And this is Mary's brother. How do you respond when someone raises your brother from the dead? How do you honor that? How do you show your gratitude? See, that's what's going on here in John chapter 12. They are having a feast, a party in Jesus' honor at Lazarus' house. Lazarus saying, this man, Jesus, is the one why I am here today. And he's throwing a party for him. And people are there celebrating and laughing and eating and drinking. But you know what? Lazarus was important to Mary too. It was a brother. What does Mary do? What does Mary have to give? She takes something utterly valuable. Did you catch in the storyline the cost of the perfume? Judas says, man, this thing was worth a year's wage. I mean, perfume's expensive, but that's dumb. No one needs to smell that good. What do you make in a year? What do you make in a year? Would you blow it? On a moment like that, she does. And then she does something more. She doesn't just give her valuables, her income, her future, and her security. No, she gives herself. She gets down on her knees and gives her very beauty, her glory to Jesus by taking her very self and her very identity and rubbing it on Jesus' feet. 
No, I think the story, no, 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 I think the question. I think the question that John wants you to ask yourself is, whose glory are you most interested in? God's or your own? I think the story is about something else as well. I think it's about devotion. In this embarrassing, unseemly, socially awkward display, Mary gushes on Jesus. She loves him. Not just what he can do for her, but him. And here's where I think we mess it up. Because I think for most of us, a relationship with God is purely transactional. What can you do for me? I will serve you because of what you can do for me. I will love you because it's the gateway of what you can do for me. Can you imagine a relationship like that that was based on those terms of what you can do for me? What's in it for me? What can you do for me? What have you done for me? How do you apply to my life? Can you imagine a more selfish relationship? Some of you sadly can because you're in them. And I'm sorry. But that's not the relationship that Mary has with Jesus. Mary loves Jesus not because of what Jesus can do for her. Mary loves Jesus. Because hear me on this. Christianity is not about believing in Jesus so that he will save you from your sins. As true as that statement might be. Do you know what Christianity is about? Loving Jesus. Whether he saves you from your sins should be secondary to what he can and does do for you as important and vital as that is. Let me ask you the question that I think John wants you to ask. Do you love Jesus because of what you think he might do for you? Or do you love Jesus because of who he is? Mary loves Jesus because of who he is. And she gushes on him. Which leads me to this. Sometimes people get too practical with God. Sell the perfume and give it to the poor, put it to good use. Set up an endowment. Do you know how many practical things could have been done in efficient clinical ways to make that money last to bless and benefit people in perpetuity? But she busts the thing open instead. She lets it go. She lets it rip. Because when you are in love, practicality goes out the window. Ah. Now we get way too practical with God. 
turning the relationship into some kind of business plan or goal sheet. I think we get way too practical with God, trying to analyze and evaluate and figure out and and some kind of metric how to have a relationship with him. Just love him. Love on him. Gosh. Mary was willing to make herself a fool because when people in love, they make themselves fools in public, don't they? Have you ever been around too much PDA? (laughs) But they don't care because your opinion is secondary. Because when you're in love, you give yourself. You pour it on and you want the world to see we get way too practical in our relationship with God. How much do you love him? How much are you in love with him? And if you're not in love with him, how do you fall in love with him? Again, what are you going to do about it? Because he loves you with a passionate, undying love. He loves you more than life itself. I know. He died for you. He loves you so much. Love on him. And how far are you willing to go? To show that love, do you see what John is asking you here? Do you see what he's pointing out? How far are you willing to go to gush on Jesus? Which leads me to this. Stop judging how others show their love and affection to God. Oh, Judas. Don't do that. People show their love in different ways. Would you agree? We all have these amazing, wonderfully, fearfully crafted personalities by God that make us who we are and unique. And when we show love, it's the the coming together of something deep within our soul that just comes pouring out. The way that person does it might not look the same way that this person does it or the way that you would show it. I love what Paul has to say. Let me read this to you today from Romans chapter 14. He says this. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. He will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. But who are you? to judge how someone else is gushing on God. Some people are loud and boisterous. Some people throw up their hands. Some people lay on the floor. Some people do what is socially awkward and weird because they love God. Some people lavish on them on him extravagantly in, in, in ways in which they give in, in various ways. Other people create works of art in his name. People blow things big time. I love in the ancient world and the sacrificial system of the Old Testament what they would do to gush on God. Five offerings in the beginning of Leviticus, Leviticus were prescribed. Five different ways you could bring a sacrifice or an offering to God. Do you know what the first of them was called? The whole burnt offering. Do you know how it worked? 
You would take your animal, whatever it would be, in relation to how much you wanted to give. You would truck it down to the temple. You would give it to the priest and you would say, kill it and burn up the whole thing. Not one scrap of meat. Not one ounce of leather. Nothing practical or valuable to be extracted or gained. What a waste. Because God, that's how much I love you that I will give you what I need, what is valuable, what's core to me. And I want to encourage you that when you see people do it, guard your heart from judgment, from ridicule, laughter, contempt, from the little snickers of someone letting it go before him. And instead, ask yourself the question, do I love him that much? Or do I love the opinions of others more and their perception of me instead? And I want to leave you with this. One final thing that kind of pops out of this story that you'll kind of miss if you're not looking How do you think about God's glory? And what I mean by that question, how do you picture it? When you think of God in his glory, what is the mental picture that comes to mind for you? Now, I don't know And we're too large of an audience here today to kind of do this and chatter back and forth together. So what I'm going to do instead is take a guess. I bet it looks something like this. That God is grand. That he's higher than the rest. That there's light and beams and power emanating out that there's angels surrounding him and singing around him, that there's raw power and you're in the presence of it so much that you can hear its hum and it can be felt, that maybe it's expressed in your image through acts of power, shaking the earth, ripping open the heavens, lightning and fire and earthquakes. Blinding light so bright that you can't even see it in all of its wondrous array, an explosion of colors and energy. Am I going down the right path here today? But that's not how John portrays Jesus' glory. In the Gospels, this is not how Jesus talks about God's glory. Do you know how God shows his glory? Do you know how Jesus says he'll be glorified? Not when he's seen in a power blast in heaven, but when he's tacked up to two pieces of wood like this. And what we would call low beyond low, humiliation and degradation to the extreme. John makes a case through his whole gospel, and you got to be watching to catch it. 
that God is in his greatest glory when he's hanging on a cross, bloodied and beaten, humiliated before people's eyes for all to see. Because God is a humble God. Despite what you might think, God is a humble God and his glory is displayed when you're able to look on that bloody, humiliated body and go, look at how much he loves me. That's glory to God to the extreme. Jesus rebukes that disciple, Judas, and he says, leave her alone. She loves me. Leave her alone. She's not afraid for people to see it. Leave it alone. She's pouring herself upon me. She is doing a beautiful, wonderful thing. Leave her alone because she understands my glory. Did you catch it in the line? This perfume was intended by, for my burial. Unwittingly, she is anointing me. Because without even realizing it, Jesus was preparing, Mary was preparing Jesus for his greatest display of glory, not raising someone from the dead. No, something greater still, hanging on a bloody tree. Because when we look at what God demonstrates on a cross, we see a love blinding beyond all love for you and for me. Now, I suspect here today some of you doubt this. I wonder if some of you immediately in your mind say something in, in, in your inner voice like this, how could God love me? No, God doesn't love me. I believe that for some of you here today, you, you are convinced that God does not or could not love you. God loves you. Hear me today. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. He loves you beyond your wildest dreams. He loves you like no one has ever loved you before or no one ever can. He loves you in a way that is beyond human imagination. It's this kind of love that John in his story of Jesus wants you to see. Loving you, God thinks of as his great glory. That's why I think the story of Mary is there. This otherwise weird, ordinary, socially awkward and embarrassing account of a woman lavishing herself on Jesus 
It's a story of devotion, a story of love. It's a story of God's glory. May God move you and speak to you about his love and your love in return through this story as well. So let's, let's stand up. Ben, why don't you come on up? It's so obvious it doesn't need to be said, but we do it so little that it needs to be repeated. You know what's important to do when you love someone? At least I found. To tell them. Prayer is not about some empty ritual. It's not about some formality. It's certainly not a formula to plug in the right words to get God to, to respond in some kind of way. It's a conversation with someone who loves us, who wants to talk to us and hear from us and speak to us in return. So I'd like to pray. I encourage you as I'm praying to use my words maybe as a springboard into what you need to tell God today. If it's been a while, tell him that you love him. Tell him what it means to you. And if there's some wedges there between that, that in that relationship between you and him, tell him that too. Tell him that too. Tell him, tell him I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've hurt you. I'm sorry I've betrayed you. I'm sorry I've neglected you. Sorry I've taken you for granted. Be honest with him. Tell him that you can never love him the way that he loves you. But maybe consider asking him to help you love him more. To help you get your merry game on. And chart a course for a beautiful relationship that only grows as a result. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you, you love us. You love us deeply. Deeply with a dying and undying love. What do we say to, to someone who loves us so much? What do we say to someone who has done so much for us? How do we respond when we consider the gifts and the blessings and the presence that you bring? How do we even begin? I don't know. But like Mary, maybe, maybe we stand before you just, just responding in the moment. breaking open our jars of perfume and getting down on our knees and laying our glory before you. Lord, we thank you that even when we don't respond in love, that your love is there and never ends. Lead us and 
move us and change us to love more. Give us, give us more of the taste of the life of the age to come, which finds its greatest expression in love. Forgive us for all the betrayals, all the hurts, all the negligence, all, all the lukewarmness in our heart. We know that by your death, you've washed it away. May our lives, like Mary and Lazarus, be moved in gratitude to the life that you have given us from spiritual death. And when you return from the physical one, that will also come our way. Thank you. We love you. And we pray. Amen. Amen. He loves you.